Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mind the Millennial Gap. We are here for another episode. Very excited to come back. Very excited to see that uh, the listenership is is going up. I think it's past the level I ever thought it was going to be, and we're just starting. So thanks for helping us, uh, or thanks for just coming to listen to what we have to say here. Uh, I'm here again uh, with the beautiful Jeej. Hi, Jeej. How you doing? Hey, Chris. Doing so good. Happy to be back with you. Is it is it back with me? We're always together. This is true. Back with you on the podcast. We are always together. There we go. Wonderful. Uh, today, I'm taking a turn of taking us down a thought train. I'm very excited about today because I don't know how related this topic is to our millennial experience versus just who we are as people and what our interests are. But I believe there's definitely something to like unpack in, in the topics of today. But anything we need to get out of the way, Jeej, before we start? Just a um, quick follow-up from our episode last week. Um, that episode was on Millennial Pink. And if you recall, we had a, an appearance by a guest, Bevan Al... Nope. Bevan Salamander, I almost said his real name there. Uh, he did listen, he did give his approval. So you have the Bevan Salamander stamp of approval, approval on all Millennial Pink content. It, it sounds like we owe Bevan Salamander uh, a taco Tuesday night. This is true, at least some good drinks. There we go, wonderful. Today's topic for everyone is the, the evolution of Millennial eating habits just generally. And so what started this thought, what started this process was uh, when I got into the reading of it all, apparently millennials don't cook anymore. And that's what prompted this thought because I actually very much enjoy cooking and I enjoy cooking for myself. I enjoy cooking for others. Jillian has definitely something to, uh, to say on here. What do you got? I was just laughing. Apparently millennials don't cook. Is this kind of like millennials are ruining the blank industry, the car industry, the cell phone industry, kind of all these things that we've been accused of ruining. Is this kind of coming from that tone or is there facts behind this? So every article I read, either the sample was too small to like declare any like true data point or it was just relatively inconclusive because people were just getting enough content so they could write an article is what it really turned out to be. But at the end of the day, I don't think it was necessary blame that I picked up. It was more of, of trends that uh, millennials eat out more than any other generation before them. And when I say eat out, we're talking fractional like data. And so I will have everything available in all the articles so everyone gets credit for. Uh, one of the articles I read is that the millennial generation eats out on average three times a week and then has something at home. And eating out was quantified as delivery service and or going to like a physical destination to eat. Interesting. Interesting that those were the two that... Oh delivery service has become such a part of our lives that it was included in that contemplation. Of yeah. Out. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I picked up on, on, on my breeding was really kind of the evolution of what the world was doing around us as millennials. Uh, 
what we have access to and what our lifestyles are doing in reaction to kind of what the world is doing around us, right? And so uh, in, in my experience as, as a kid growing up, we didn't go out to eat that often. Like going out to eat was probably special, not normal. What was, what was your experience, Gigi? Oh man, going way back in those memories. Um, it was definitely not common. It was um, the two instances I could really think of is when my dad was in town, he traveled a lot for business and he was in town sometimes on like a Friday night we would go out and eat together as a family, and it was like usually a Mexican restaurant, always a lot of fun. Um, and then my other memory is after we did chores on Saturday, um, usually a lot of outside chores, we would go through McDonald's or Taco Bell and get whatever we wanted. And that was that was dope as a kid. That was all we wanted was McDonald's or Taco Bell. So those are kind of my two memories of eating out. Of the two, because they're so uniquely different. and. I believe one is a little bit better than the other. What is your favorite of Taco Bell or McDonald's? Oh, definitely Taco Bell because they've got those cinnamon crunchy thingies. Mm. This is truly why you're my partner. This <laughs> <laughs> those things can't be beat. Did you know they're just fried noodles? What? Yeah. Are they really? I will show you the YouTube video. Someone has captured how they are made, and it's essentially like a pasta noodle that they throw in a fryer. My mind is blown. That is amazing, and they are truly magical. If they ever, ever dare take those away like they do the Mexican pizza, RIP, it will be a really sad day. Remember when we actually, we were looking for a Mexican pizza. It was on the menu two weeks ago, and they're like, oh, sorry, we don't have that yeah, anymore. Yeah, it's still on all the menus, just like sold out, and it makes me sad every time. So coming back, uh, my father actually traveled quite a bit for work, um, typically a... Monday through Thursday type of scenario or at least three day a week scenario there. And so I have often memories of, of my mother cooking or trying to figure out how to, how to feed us kids. And then a Friday night, typically it was, let's go to the buffet. That was a local thing. Let's go somewhere here. And I, I have memories growing up where smoking was still accepted inside restaurants. And so there was a smoking and a non-smoking section, which really wasn't necessarily protected space. <laughs> it was just people smoking indoors and it floating over to the non-smoking side of the building. <laughs> Do you ever have this or is this just my experience? The only place I remember this being a thing was Cracker Barrel. Oh gosh, I, I remember <laughs> the lattice separator between smoking and non-smoking at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Yes, that's the only place that I really remember this happening. But yeah, that is kind of kind of wild that we can remember that. Now there's no smoking in buildings in most places. Now there's like no smoking within distance of doors, right? They've they've really really limited the ability of smoking in public, it seems. Right? Yeah. But going back tradition, I'm sorry. I believe I I was more of of a household that that cooked at home as I grew up a little bit. It was a little bit more fend for yourself. Uh, in my, in my household, there was, there was food available there. Uh, but we always ate together as a family, at least on Sundays minimum. And there was often leftovers to be able to be eaten through, through the week. Right. And so going out, I really didn't control like the going out to eat, uh, until I was able to drive 
at 16, to which I took all of those freedoms and possibilities. And so when I went there and I started looking through all the articles and when I got through everything there, it was really kind of what came down to what food availability was and food convenience as well as technology is what I saw in the just articles and trends of those articles I read. So millennials as a generation uh, have been exposed to technology for most of their life, if not all of their life, depending on what um, spectrum of the millennial generation that you fall into. And with that technology, obviously, has come convenience of ordering food online, food delivery services. But at the same time, what I also explored was food has been glamorized. And so food on social media, um, there are whole cable channels dedicated to showing you like food of cooking it at all of these different levels. And one article expressed that the internet and the digital age actually has made cooking look difficult to millennials and for them to actually be discouraged to cook as well. There were just so many facts and nothing ever tied together. So I just have anecdotes to really talk about. So, so Jeej, as, as, as someone uh, that is in their very, very early 30s, what is your experience with cooking? Oh man, we kind of talked about this this week. Um, so my experience with cooking was kind of starting back in high school. My mom was a great cook. She claims now that she makes like trucker meals or truck stop meals, like a lot of casseroles and stuff. I always thought her cooking was fabulous. I've never heard a casserole called a truck stop meal. <laughs> Either I've not gone to a truck stop enough to have casseroles at truck stops <laughs> Or that might not be a thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's what she called it. Um, and she was a great cook. But cooking wasn't um, a skill that she really taught us. I think that she had to be housewives, even though she very much encouraged us to have whatever choice we wanted. Um, and so some of the, the more domestic things, I didn't necessarily learn at home. Instead, I, I learned a lot more um, just like practical, not practical life skills, but... Uh, non-domestic skills, which I'm very grateful for. But that did mean that I didn't have a foundation of cooking. So <laughs> when I moved out, I went to college and I had a meal plan for the first year. So I didn't cook for myself at all. And then my sophomore year, I had lovely, lovely, lovely roommates that just kind of cooked as a bunch. Um, and so I didn't really cook there. Got married, didn't cook there either. And then met Chris and I was subsisting off of Oreos and Dr. Pepper, so it wasn't cooking, and then got, got to a relationship with Chris, and he, Chris is a fabulous cook, so truly, I have never cooked throughout my life. It's not a skill I have. It's not something I really enjoy um, either, and, I, and I, I love to bake. I find it relaxing, but cooking myself meals is tedious in my mind and cooking for one or cooking for two is not very enjoyable in my mind so so I really didn't do a lot of it so that's that's where my I learned in cooking a lot of convenience just like you said not a lot of time or effort or preparation I'm glad you brought up that last point right and so as we talk about our generation um, and some of the just overarching themes a lot of our generation is having 
families later in life, if they're having families at all, they're having relationships that are long-term, but maybe not like legally connected sometimes. And so it's this paradigm shift from what was Americana, you know, I'm sorry, the American dream as has been like, everyone has a house, why pick a fence, two kids and a dog and something like that. That paradigm seems to be shifting in our generation a little bit. I wouldn't say that it's, it's an entire like wiping out of that expectation of, of Americana, but it's maybe happening later in life and right. And so convenience is what I found was one of the number one reasons that diet eating habits um, and all of those things for millennials really uh, has changed from what experience maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago and, and on. Uh, I read an article again, I'll put it in uh, there for everyone to access the greater thing. But one thing that stuck out to me is Kellogg's, the cereal brand said that they took a double digit loss through the 2000s because millennials weren't eating cereal anymore (laughs) or they're eating cereal less, I guess is how I would say that. And it came down to, uh, they stated in the article that, um, and this sounds almost derogatory, but there's probably truth to it. We are so caught up in the conveniences of life as a generation that on the whole, we couldn't be bothered to even clean a dirty cereal bowl. We would prefer to actually just get like a cup of yogurt that's thrown away or a grab and go from, from some place while we're on our way to pre-COVID work and those types of things. I found that very interesting. And then convenience kept coming up again and again and again and again. So it's, to your point, it's cooking sometimes isn't the most convenient activity to have to go through there. Did you find it was convenience or did you find that you just didn't enjoy it? It's really hard to say. I might have enjoyed it had I done it more often, but usually when I was cooking, it was like for a dinner party once in a while with friends, right? Kind of these bigger events that maybe I was a little stressed going into. Maybe I wanted to make sure everything was just right. Um, And so maybe that just led to my non-enjoyment of it. And, but truly I think that as I've worked my entire adult life um, and that takes has an impact on your meal preparation and like I I wasn't going to come home after a long day and cook a meal for myself or anyone else it just it wasn't something that I wanted to sign up to do so maybe a little bit of both to answer your question that's you just you just keep lining them up for me Uh, one of the topics I I thought through was along the lines of, was this just millennials or potentially did the households they grow, grew up in, uh, ex- was that the first exposure to convenience and then it just became more of a part of them. And so uh, where I grew up, uh, there were a lot of uh, dual income homes, dual income situations with, with friends I lived with. And so to that point, Maybe not the thing one or two of the parents wanted to do when they get home was put together a home-cooked meal for for the home family. So sometimes it was a bag of food that got brought home from a favorite place and things like that. So I I wonder how much influence there is on being introduced to it versus just saying my lifestyle is very, very different than what I grew up in. 
Maybe, or maybe it's the same lifestyle, just as dual-income households or yeah, dual-working households. There is something to that, no matter what generation you're in. I don't know. That could be interesting to look at. Yeah, I think that too. And I don't want to uh, not recognize the maybe single-parent household where it's probably even more difficult yeah. uh, to think about one, taking care of all the needs of the person in the house uh, singly, and if there are uh, children involved, and then how in the world do you do that without some of the conveniences of food? So shout out to single parents, those who have been it, those are still single parents, shout out. Moving on, the, the technology aspect of it more than likely has accelerated that. Um, if we sit there and think of all of the food delivery services that exist, in that competitive space, yeah. uh, the, the thing that Grubhub did with Amazon, what was that, two, three weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Where if you're an Amazon Prime account holder, you get a year of Grubhub for free. It's so cool. I haven't looked at what that free really is. Is that just <laughs> wave delivery fees, I assume? I, I think so. I think it's like Grubhub Plus, which gives you less delivery fees. Yeah. But when you just think of some of the names in that space, I'm, I'm probably not going to name all of them, but Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, uh, any, I can't think of anything else. But th- those are some big major ones that, that are used. That probably got a lot of people through COVID. <laughs> the, the lockdown portions uh, of COVID once, uh, once the, the public opened up just slightly and it wasn't fully, fully locked down. I know uh, I have many colleagues in San Francisco at the time at the job that I was at, and they were just subsisting off of ordering food in. And I just, uh, man, that's got to be really, really, really expensive because I think I have some food delivery accounts. I don't know if I've ever used them in a non-work setting. <laughs> Gigi's laughing because she knows she's getting set up to, to retort. <laughs> What's your experience with the food delivery, Gigi? I am all over them. I have all the apps downloaded and I'm really good and quick at navigating between them to see what kind of deals are on which restaurants for what days and how fast we can get something there. And so you might not have used them, but you've definitely benefited from them. <laughs> this, this is true. The convenience <laughs> has been there for me. It's just been ordered in proxy. Yeah. And during COVID, these food delivery services were huge. For me, we, Chris and I didn't live together during COVID, um, and I lived downtown by myself, like downtown Salt Lake, all by myself, uh, and I was very, very lonely during a lot of that time, and um, my sister also lived super nearby, and also she had a roommate who was the most wonderful and adorable person, but um, was looking out for me and my loneliness, and so heard me and then one of my other dear friends, shout out to Sabrina, would, they would come, I would sit on my patio, we would all order um, these meals from the same place and one of us would go pick it up and kind of divvy it out and I would sit on my patio and they'd sit on different sides of underneath my patio and we'd all just chat and it was like maybe one of the more wonderful times I can think of during COVID on how that really brought us together where we could feel like we were just doing a girl's dinner out somewhere but as an as an avid user of those services and applications are you ever put off by the delivery fee at all are you ever put off by the premium that it takes to 
get that food that already has, I guess, uh, margin built into it and so, so it can take care of the like destination that you actually ordered it from? No, actually. I think that, especially if you're signing up for the premium versions of any of these, they'll usually give you a trial. You can always find coupons. Like, there's ways around those delivery fees that are great. <laughs> our our, our, our producer <laughs> intern, Ace, is rolling his eyes in his chair right no, there's, now. there's only one, and it's not on a food delivery app, but, you know, lots of um, kind of more fast casual places have have delivery services where you can deliver you can order something right on their app right. and deliver it and those are the ones that i kind of find that it's a little bit egregious on um the fee and i'd almost rather pick it up a uh, crumble <laughs> why is it that you think that pizza delivery and i think asian restaurant delivery is often depicted like decades prior to any like mass food delivery services why do you think it was only those two foods that didn't need an application and that in-house said you know what we'd love to get our services and our product straight to your door i feel like those are the quintessential drunk food and so maybe they were just doing fellow men a service and just saying hey you get drunk you don't even worry we got you just call us we'll make sure that we take that five pizza order from one person <laughs> in the house <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think another part of the the internet items, what someone really took, and maybe, I don't know, personally, my view is they skewed some information to make a whole article, <laughs> but they're like, information is at our fingertips. Information is just so available, whether, whether it is Wikipedia, blogs, YouTube, whatever medium it is through the internet, there's information just ready to be called up. Mm -hmm. And so they say millennials really don't need to download any of this information, retain it. So it's like offloaded information that they can have access. Again, really a stretch, mm -hmm. but I really found that really interesting because most of my, my cooking knowledge has actually come from the internet or cooking shows and things like that, where I say, oh, that looks, that looks really good. I'd, I'd love to try to figure out how to make that. But no one taught me really how to cook. Like, I, I don't have many memories of sitting in a kitchen and be like, this is, this is this. It takes this much that. I don't have any family recipes that were, were passed to me. The, all the food I know how to make comes straight from the internet. Thank goodness for the internet and YouTube. What do you think makes you intrinsically motivated to cook? And do you think that is any way related to your status as an elder millennial or a millennial in general? I really haven't given that a lot of thought. I, I enjoy the satisfaction of cooking. Uh, often cooking is relatively short time periods to get you know, whatever you're cooking out and enjoy it there. I know sometimes I'll, I'll cook. Some, I, I definitely fall into the category of elder millennial and smoking meats. I don't <laughs> know how that became a thing. I felt like I was doing that before it was cool, but probably not. <laughs> um, I think I was just drawn to the, the challenge and the satisfaction of cooking. And that's why I enjoy doing it. But I know I'm a minority in this house um, that you don't enjoy cooking. And I know that, uh, Ace also would rather not cook as well. 
you're also maybe this is more personality you're also an awesome like taker carer of people are and like does that have anything to do with why you like to cook uh that definitely could be i think i really enjoy i think i've told i think i've told you this exact phrase i enjoy having food experiences with people and truly food experiences whether that's the food is like delicious amazing unique or if the food is at a destination that is unique or awesome. Um, Gigi and I, not recently, but within the last six months, uh, took a trip to Greece. We went to some really cool places to eat. We had some really good food. Some of the food was, was good. Some of the food was great, but even that good food was just like, oh man, this is such an awesome food experience sitting here looking at antiquity and eating euros so yeah food experiences i I don't know why i find so much value in them and i don't think it's necessarily linked to where i fall into the millennialism interesting very interesting they uh one of the articles surveyed millennials and if they knew kitchen tools Oh, please tell me more. And so when it came to, they, they interviewed those who fall into the boomer generation. They, entered the, they did uh, Gen X and they did millennials. And millennials by far knew far less about just chicken, I'm sorry, kitchen equipment. <laughs> Chickens generally, but, <laughs> but kitchen equipment. <laughs> And so uh, one of the items was a garlic press. Do you think that you could identify what a garlic press looks like? I do not, Christopher. Of all of the, so as someone who likes to cook, I have accumulated quite a bit of of a kitchen of tools and gadgets. Of all of the gadgets in the kitchen, which one of those are you just like, what in the world does this do? So many of them. I, you have a, you have like a, a sous vide is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stare at it and I'm like, this is a plastic thing with some other things on it. I don't know how it works. I know that you like it. And so many of those things in, in the kitchen drawer, like I can identify the spatula. I can identify the little thing that you brush the, the eggs with, the egg brush wipe thing. Egg brush wipe thing, continue. Yeah, I know this the can is, this is getting better as we <laughs> keep going. I know the wine opener. And that is about it that I understand the core purpose of it and not just how I utilize it, which may or may not be correct. I love it. Like the big squeezy? I don't know what that's for. Can you describe the big squeezy to everyone? Because that could be just a number <laughs> of things without visuals. So it looks like if, you know, when like you're a sick kid and your eyes are all weird and you might, I don't know, you have some like gross thing like pink eye that just kids get and you have to get eye drops in your eye and it comes in a, like a little squeezy thing where you boop, 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 and you suck in the liquid and you squeeze it out in your eyes. It looks like that, but like times a million. Is it I the- don't know what it's used for. Is it the turkey baster? Aces nodding yes. I do not understand how you would baste a turkey. Does it go inside the cavity and you just like... No, turkey basting is where you use what is an eyedropper for a giant. 
<laughs> and you suck up the drippings in the pan and you squirt it back on the turkey because turkeys can get dry if you don't figure out how to keep them moist through the cooking process. But I, I like <laughs> I like eyedropper for giant instead <laughs> or giant squeezy thing. Giant squeezy thing. Yeah, no, I'm sure that there are a lot of tools in there. And you've explained a lot of processes of cooking to me, which I'm very grateful for. But I still don't know basics. Like Chris taught me in the last year that you don't cook things at 10. Like 10 is not a setting you should cook things you care about. On, on what device is, oh, is 10 an option? <laughs> on the oven. If, nope, not on the oven. On the stove if you <laughs> cook. Guys, I've had a little I, bit of wine before. This we did not plan this. <laughs> I could not have made. I could not have written this script any better. Okay, so the cookie thing on the stove. Say you're cooking eggs or quesadillas. Two things I like. Two things I am capable of cooking for myself. You don't cook it on a ten. You cook it on like a four and a half, and it takes a little longer. But sometimes you just have to be patient. I like this. Yeah. You are learning. I am learning. <laughs> I'm going to stay on this topic just a hair longer because <laughs> do you could you pick the potato ricer out of a lineup? I know that you love it, but I don't think I could. I think potato ricer is a bit advanced for any kitchen. Yeah. You have a lot of advanced tools. No, I just have things. Oh, pinky out. Ace just gave me pinky out. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should have pinkied me out on the sous vide. I should have. For every cup I have, which we talked about last time, you have an equal tool. Yeah. yeah. Probably things that I don't need, but I got them for the one time I cooked that one thing. That's wonderful. Now we have them for the second time you cook something. There are articles and there was information that millennials do cook but they don't feel confident in their cooking. And they actually self-identify as the worst cooks that they know on, just on average, they're willing to identify themselves as the worst cooks that they know. But they're very uh, eager to cook something that looks attractive to them. So again, families potentially being a little bit later in life and those things, you're, you're cooking for one, you're cooking for for two maybe for a period of time and or you might be cooking to impress a friend you know having a friend group over but on on average you might just be cooking for yourself for a little bit there they're willing to take on the challenge but at the same time they feel no confidence in, in their ability to actually cook my college experience i subsisted on five dollar hot and ready little caesar's pizzas <laughs> And the Taco Bell that was a block and a half from my apartment. I lived years, <laughs> years on, on that type of food. And it worked for me in that setting. And my metabolism, thank God, kept up, right? But as the younger spectrum of the millennial generation and even Gen Z, Gen Z is after us, correct? Correct. They are much more uh, socially aware uh, and of things that potentially affect the planet or socially aware of maybe where their food comes from and who or what companies they would like to support. Additionally, the younger millennials and especially the Gen 
Z gener uh, generation, they actually eat a lot less common meals and they snack uh, a lot more is what the findings have come through. That's way cool. Where would you find yourself? Oh, I'm snacky all day. I think snacky all day versus the regular meals for sure. Is snacky all day a choice? What, what, what makes you more prone to, to snacking than a traditional, like more sit down meal, like breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Again, I think it kind of goes back to convenience. Um, working all day, like you don't always have that lunch hour to go and sit down and find a meal, go out and find a meal or um, eat something you've packed from home. So it's either eating something awkwardly in a conference room or sitting at home, turning off your camera, eating something awkwardly, um, rather than just like running, grabbing an Oreo, eating it, going back. And um, it just like it's, I don't know, with snacks you can get more variety. You're not like beholden to leftovers. I feel like there's a lot of benefits to snacking. Snacks are us. I like I like that. I think I'm a hair more towards the traditional meals and traditional meal times, but I find them that they don't fit a normal hour for me. And so I typically, because of my work schedule, uh, breakfast is incredibly late, which then pushes out what a lunchtime meal is into the mid-afternoon. And so I've, I find that just my traditional meals are really, really set back in, in the time period there as well. But I am guilty of snacking. If, if snacking does make anyone feel guilty. Um, Shouldn't love what you love. Love what I love. I should probably replace chips with like carrots and things like that, but I don't. Love what you love. <laughs> I do. Pick, pick the things that kill you, right? But yeah, I find, that, I find that very interesting. And I find during our generation, we actually have more food celebrities than ever were existing in previous generations. And I find that fascinating because the ce just celebrity generally was kind of saved for um, maybe more acting, maybe more Hollywood, those types of things. I think Julia Child is probably the originator of food, personalities, food, celebrity, and then it's since spread out from there. And you almost can't, it's almost shoved down your throat a little bit, depending on what like mediums you consume and things like that. Cause all they do is they kept just in reinventing shows for these people that somehow capture an audience and keep a successful show. Bobby Flay has to be on his like 20th version of a cooking show. Like there's nothing left to cook for that man, but yet he can still find it. And then who is your favorite celebrity or at least your sister's favorite food celebrity? Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. We love Guy. What is endearing about Guy Fieri? Is it him or the fact that he just loves diner food? Okay, so a few things. I could do a TED talk on all the reasons Guy Fieri is an angel baby. Um, but starting with number one, like he just has a really good heart. He is very kind if you've seen the work he's done after natural disasters or after um, like COVID, like during COVID, he did a lot of outreach to places that had um, a hard time getting food. And at the, like for that reason alone, I love him. Um, number two, he's just his own person walking around with that hair and that outfit and eating diner food. He's kind of the epitome of do what you love. 
um, which I think speaks to a lot of millennials. So actually, I'd be interested. Does Guy Fieri have a Guy Fieri have a bigger millennial following than he does other generations? Like, do other generations find him, in lack of a better term, chuggy? That term does not compute. What in the world does chuggy mean? Okay, uh, we're gonna put a little asterisk on this. We're we're gonna come back to that. Um, just like kind of. Mm, cringe. Chuggy. I'm going to have to go discover that word, apparently. Maybe our next episode will be on millennial slang. <laughs> millennial slang for sure. <laughs> Chuggy, top of the list. That might actually be Gen Z. Sorry, Gen Z. We love you. <laughs> for sure. I think one of the last points that I want to bring up, and I, I apologize, listeners. Like I said, there, there wasn't any like definitive trends. There wasn't like a linear story to tell here. There was just a lot of observations that I went through and that I discovered that I thought were talking, talking worthy. A lot of the millennial generation and even more with the Gen Z generation are much more conscious about the type of food that they eat. And so on average, they eat less processed foods they eat more organic foods. Um, they are more aware of what macros are and uh, find themselves potentially, I don't know if they're swayed by fad diets or actually throwing diets away generally to, to pick up you know, what, what they're actually ingesting, but they're, they're a little bit more conscious of that. I went down so many different thought trains on why that is, but just wanted to, let me pose that to you, Jeej. Why in the world is it? So um, for those who don't know, uh, Jillian is vegetarian. Uh, I'll say Jillian is vegetarian, if not very vegetarian forward. I'll accept it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, vegetarian first is how how I would explain your approach to food. Unless you got a really good looking hunk of meat, I'm not coming near it. <laughs> but what is it, maybe being a, a little bit younger, do you find yourself being more aware of what the food is, maybe where it came from, maybe what general health benefits would actually come from yeah. eating those foods rather than maybe more processed foods? I think we are kind of as the younger gen- younger millennial generation, also the generation of documentaries like Super Size Me or uh, Forks Over Knives or some of those that kind of pointed out how the food industry uh, cr- creates food and kind of some of the unethical treatment and kind of not always health conscious um, activities go into creating food that is processed, sent out, available at fast food or, or in other places. Um, so I don't know if that has something to do with it. I think just on general, we have a bigger knowledge base, which means we can be choosier about things because we actually know information rather than a news article somewhere, right? Like we have the, the information at our fingertips. And I think um, as a bit of a more like socially conscious generation, we are wanting to make sure that our food is ethical, whether it's the animals being treated ethical or the people uh, growing and picking the food are being treated ethical. I, I actually read, very fascinating, 
that millennials and Gen Z are the lowest amount of consumers of Chick-fil-A um, because they take some stances that not everybody agrees with on the LGBTQ community. It's not just because we're hungry for chicken on Sundays. No, I'll, no. Okay. No. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think as we know more, we can do better with what we know, and I think that's something that our generation, and this is just unsystem, unsubstantiated thought, but I think that um, us as a generation are kind of becoming more aware of of what our individual impact has on the world at large and trying to um, minimize the harm we do. We know there's no ethical consumption in capitalism, um, but if we can minimize the harm that we're doing by the consumption, I think that's something that a lot of people have on their minds and, and what they strive for leading over to eating habits. You mentioned information and it took me on, on a line of questioning, if you don't mind. Uh, do you have any recollection in your lifetime the food pyramid being illustrated and displayed or explained to you? So this has come up so many times in the past week. What a synchronicity. <laughs> it started with um, Maddie Murphy from The Bad Broadcast, a wonderful podcast that you should listen to if you have the chance. She has a segment called The Dum Dum Club, which is wonderful where you uh, people write in and talk about the experiences or the things that they thought um, that they found out were wrong later in life. And one of them that I actually thought until I heard this was that eggs were not considered dairy because of the food pyramid where eggs were, they were in the little dairy section. And I always thought that eggs were considered a dairy product until like this very week of our lives. So the food pyramid illustration led you to believe that eggs were dairy. Yes. Not necessarily the, the animals that they originate from. And if the animals yes. were correlated or not. Correct. I thought eggs were dairy. <laughs> also, I would like to live in a world where the food pyramid was the ultimate diet because do you see how many carbs are at the bottom? That is a fun world. No, I only have memories of it being hung up in elementary like cafeterias. But never have I explored the intricacies of what makes up the pyramid, what the math is, and how it all breaks down. It was, it was a good chunk of carbs. Carbs were the bottom, and then I think it went milk and poultry. And then I don't remember. Sugar was at the top. I remember that. Very sad. Yeah, some fruit, right? And it's probably, probably a level of fruit that I, I never eat. Or maybe that on average people don't eat. Yeah. <laughs> like five or six servings of fruit a day or something <laughs> like that. And so my, my thought was food pyramid. That's given to you as as a guide guideline. I won't say it's like mandated or anything like yeah. that. But there's also, gosh, I don't I don't know what the right term. There's there's food misinformation. So much. And food so like as an adult, like seeing through my adult eyes, the the uh, coalitions, the co-ops, the lobbyist groups. Do you remember all of the milk ads? And they just get celebrities. Yeah. They'd go put what was not milk, so that was very obvious on their top lip. And like as a kid, you're just like, okay, I guess milk is, I guess milk is good. I can't drink enough of this. All these famous people are drinking it. Big milk. That was a response to lagging dairy sales, and it was the the group that makes up the interest of dairy farmers 
getting together and putting those in. Ace is doing the best, the best young Jamie. Thank Aww. you for getting me the food pyramid. I appreciate that. <laughs> what a homie. But I also have recollections of eggs being bad at some point in my life. Do you, do you have this memory at all? No, I only, so I, I know what you're talking about, but my memories are the incredible edible egg. Uh, eggs were never bad in my lifetime, but I do, I do know of a time when all fat was bad, which include egg yolks, right? So it was cholesterol. Oh, excuse me, cholesterol. And that's where, where margarine had its heyday. Because margarine didn't have the margarine was a replacement for butter, because apparently butter was worse than uh, whatever the ingredients for margarine is, and so the campaign for eggs was the incredible edible egg to put counter PR to all of that information, right? So big egg and big cholesterol went head to head. Sure, Ooh. but Atkins, Atkins erased bread from from people's diets for a period of time because carbs were bad, right? And then there are other variations of, of diets that lean into other macros and things like that. But well, certain that foods everything. get picked on, right? Yeah. yeah. And and then I, I won't get too far into it, but you can kind of, it seems like those food coalitions kind of pick and choose which food scientists are willing to actually go write a paper in order to go push that agenda. And so it's like, that just makes me think you said you had information and you had more information, but it's like, how do you go find the right information to make those right food, conscious food decisions for yourself? Right. It's so true. It's so true. I think you just do the best with what you have and really, really that's all you can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I definitely encourage. I, I, I love the convenience of food. Drive through, having it come to your door, just really not having to pause life for food as a millennial. I recognize that. I really enjoy it. But I also find myself getting a lot of enjoyment of eating and then sharing. Uh, I'm sorry, of cooking and then sharing that eating experience of what is cooked with everyone I, I find maybe it, maybe it's the validation in me that I need or or whatever but I I really enjoy that I don't know if I uh line up to my millennial generation I'm wanting to cook there as well but last one very last one if you were to cook anything that you've never cooked before what is it that you would like to cook oh man I think it would definitely be something sweet so is that baker cook? Good question. Gigi's an excellent baker, by the way. I'm an okay baker. I do make good cookies. The best chocolate chip cookies <laughs> I have ever had in my dang life. Thank you, Robbie, of the internet, for that recipe. Uh, I, I don't know, Chris. I don't know what I would cook. I don't think I've given it much thought, which is... Oh, I take it back. It is kind of baking, though. Okay. For those who don't have an uh, Asian experience or Cantonese experience, can you explain what bolo bao is to everyone? The translation is pineapple bun, rough, 
directly like directly yeah is pineapple bun so it is this amazing think like the fluffiest sweet bread like almost like a potato roll but like slightly fluffier and slightly sweeter and then it's topped with a sugar topping that was that's like kind of crisscrossed on the top um and then my very favorite one i've ever had was sliced open and there was a like a slab like a slab of guava butter inside and it was so good i still think about it we only had it a few weeks ago but i will think about it every day for the rest of my life probably so good so learning how to make those learning how to recreate that like gorgeous experience i think is what i'd like i cannot wait for a bolo bow when you actually make those <laughs> and so for people that are interest uh that aren't uh maybe knowledgeable on that so asian bakeries uh have quite a few things that we don't experience in our american bakeries uh grocery stores etc and so one of one of these items of many items that i had never seen until i spent time in asia or in an american uh asian american neighborhood were, were these bakeries and this pineapple bun guys let me tell you if you have an Asian community, go find a bakery and go find a pineapple bun. You will not regret it. They are so delicious and so good. I cannot wait for you to make those, Cheech. <laughs> they are tasty. Wonderful. Well, that's the that's the questions. Those are the topics. That's everything I had today. Thanks everyone for joining. Cheech, where can anyone find us if they want to interact with us? Please let us know your millennial cooking experiences. We would love to find out all about them and kind of your thoughts on this. Um, you can find us on Mind the Millennial Gap on Instagram and on TikTok. You can also email us at mindthemillennialgap at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Love, We've loved the feedback so far. I'm going to keep saying it. Please feel free to suggest topics, anything you want to cover. If you feel like you have a unique millennial experience and you want to come on, we would love to have you. Um, yeah, so just reach out to us, and we love you all. Awesome. Everyone. Thank you, Jeej. Uh, at, at the end, lean into the things that make you happy. Cooking, eating experiences. Order it in. Do whatever you want. We love you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of this uh, community that we're, we're making here. And we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>